0: I began the journey of the struggle of reuniting the biblical texts in my own mind and the um, religions of Judaism and Christianity in my own mind um, almost thirty years ago. Um, It's been an interesting thing. I um, got into anthropology in part because I love intersections. Intersections are where things happen. Okay, uh, When something's going this way and something's going that way, there are dynamics. And um, the intersection of the Older Testament and the New Testament, the intersection of Judaism and Christianity, the intersection of... Uh, uh, God's historical narrative and salvation, the intersection of the, the former creation and the new creation, all of these are big picture uh, ideas, and I love the big picture. I, I, I'm fascinated by details, don't always keep them in mind, uh, but, but I'm fascinated by them, but they're not what gets my interest. What gets my interest is that big picture picture. And as I looked at all of this, I noticed that there is a linchpin between these various intersections connected to the holy days. And Next, uh, next week at Shabbat will begin at sundown, the, the new moon and the beginning of the month of Elul, uh, at, which is the countdown into the, the high holy days. The ones that are least understood by Christians, not that they're not part of Christianity, uh, but it is somewhat been diffused and and reassigned in that context. So this passage that was just read in Hebrews 10 that says we should hold to our profession um, and all the more stimulating one another unto love uh, and good deeds and all the more as we see the day approaching, That idea of the day approaching is is an important one, and it's one of these intersection, big picture items. Uh, The day that is talking about goes by various names. The day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day of the return, the day of the gathering, uh, the the day of atonement. All, All of these terms have subtle differences as they look at the end of time. But they also have significant meaning uh, in terms of what's being said here in the book of Hebrews. And what it's really addressing is the fulfillment of the day of atonement and its full manifestation. The book of Hebrews begins with talking about Yeshua or Jesus as our high priest entering into heaven and sitting down at the right hand of God. If you know Yom Kippur, you know that the high priest didn't do that. What the high priest did is he went into the Holy of Holies, he uh, applied the blood to the mercy seat, and then he comes back out and does other aspects of ritual which establish the atonement um, in the the holy place. But Jesus didn't do that. He entered into heaven uh, with his own blood, Uh, making atonement, and then sat down at the right hand of God the Father, and from there he will come again. Which means that, in some sense, the day of atonement is not completely fulfilled. And that's really where Judaism and Christianity look at these things somewhat differently. So I'd like you to turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23. Because over the years... uh, as I take the linchpins, and I'm going to talk about three of them. Uh, the first one being uh, Sabbath and uh, the Lord's Day. Um, and I'm just going to briefly talk about that. And then Passover and, and the, the Last Supper. And then the linchpin of uh, the um, Day of Atonement. So in Leviticus chapter 23... Uh, God says the Lord spoke again to Moses saying speak to the sons of Israel and say to them the Lord's appointed times which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. Now I want you to notice that these are not the appointed times of Israel. They are not the appointed times of the church. They are not the appointed times of uh, uh, the Vatican. They're not the appointed times of uh, Richmond, Virginia, uh, or Salt Lake City, (laughs) whatever people attach to a uh, religious centrality. The Lord says, these are my appointed times. Now we all have appointed times. Uh, We all have birthdays. We all have anniversaries. And we, we have these kind of personal holy days or personal holidays that are both connected to rites of passage and rites of intensification that we do. But these are gods. And three of them are hinge points for Judaism and Christianity even with all of the separation that's taken place between those two groups. These remain as The linchpins. And the first one is right here in verse verse 3. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is the Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. Now, he's about to then give the annual ones, but this is a weekly... Day that God has set aside, and you know the Genesis account. On the seventh day, God rested, and he uh, he sanctified the seventh day. He made it holy. He ultimately made it a sign between him and Israel, and it is critical for Israel that they observe that Sabbath. And that Sabbath begins Friday night at sundown till Saturday night at sundown. And for most of Jewish history. The Sabbath has been that very significant notion of how do we identify the God of Israel? He is the God of creation who created the heavens and the earth in six days. On the seventh day he rested. Now over time, uh, Judaism added to that that celebration uh, specific services. And so the era of Shabbat, the evening service in the home with the Sabbath meal and the lighting of the candles, the blessing of the children and the blessing of the wife and the nice meal and all of that uh, began began to be the entrance into Shabbat. And then of course, uh, Sabbath morning, the congregation would gather in the synagogues and they would uh, engage in a liturgy that was drawn from the tabernacle and the temple And that was expanded in the exile and they would focus on the portion of the Torah that was read for that part and there was a corporate worship. Then in the evening as the Sabbath begins to end, there is a ceremony called the Havdalah, the separation. And the separation is the separating the Sabbath from the rest of the week And it takes place right around sundown uh, at Saturday. And that service, the Habdalah, becomes the linchpin between Judaism and Christianity. Because it is on a Saturday evening after sundown that the resurrection takes place. In the beginning of the week, the first day of the week. And so... Many early believers, as they observed Shabbat, uh, would enjoy the Havdalah and extend that into the evening as they celebrated the resurrection uh, of the Lord and it became known as the first day of the week acknowledgement. Now over time, what begins to happen is there is a separation between Gentile Christians and Jews. And one of the separations that happens is both a misunderstanding and a direct intent to separate the Lord's Day or that resurrection celebration from the Sabbath. And so what you end up getting in Christianity is two, two approaches. One are the Sabbatarian Christians. and There are Seventh-day Baptists and other Seventh-day groups who observe uh, Saturday and just continue with that older tradition. And then there are some that began to use Saturday night as the beginning of the service of celebration of what would be the the, uh, discovery of the empty tomb the next morning. And then of course the end of that day so you end up with the same kind of pattern on Saturday night through Sunday night that you got on Friday night through Saturday night. But the, the lynch pin between those is that Havdalah service. And to this day in traditional Christianity, the celebration of worship called the Lord's Day begins at sundown on Saturday night. It begins with the culmination of the uh, Sabbath and since the Sabbath is seen as an anticipation of the kingdom to come they thought of it somewhat not as the first day of the week again but almost as the eighth day or the new creation and all of that is tied into the ritual but then it becomes a battle is it the seventh day or the first day and I don't want to get into that but you you know that struggle that's one of the linchpins then of course the scripture says In verse 4, these are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their times, appointed for them. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. Then on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And then we get down to verse, uh, 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 verse 11, it says you will wave the sheaf of the first fruits on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall accept it. Now, in Judaism, you have a celebration of these three things. You have the Passover, which is the celebration of the, uh, the eating of the lamb the evening before the exodus. And then you have the release of the first day of unleavened bread and the separation, the bread of haste and leaving and being separate and holy unto the Lord. And then in the midst of that week, in one tradition on the Saturday night and in other traditions simply the third day there, uh, you have first fruits which is the count, beginning of the counting of the Omer towards Shavuot or what we call Pentecost. So in the in the spring, what you have is this celebration of the exodus and the salvation of Israel, the removal out of Egypt, the becoming the people of God, and the uh, the beginning of <coughs> the harvest of, of, of supply that God will give to them. All of that hinges also with Christianity because... Passover is the day of the crucifixion. First day of unleavened bread is the day of the burial. And first fruits, the time of the resurrection. And as you guys know, because we observe it, that Saturday night observance of the resurrection is also the the harvesting of the first fruits that are weighed before the Lord, counting the 50 days uh, to Shavuot or Pentecost. That's the second hinge that connects both Judaism and Christianity in these holy days. There is a third one that overlaps these, and this is the one that we're about to enter in, and this is the one that's more difficult. If you think those two are difficult, this one is really difficult. And that begins on um, verse um, 29. No, actually, I'm going to pick it up before there. Verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On exactly the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. You shall not do any work on that day as a day of atonement to make atonement on behalf uh, on your behalf before the Lord your God. If any person will not humble himself on that day, he will be cut off from the people. As for any person who does any work on that day, that person I will destroy from among the, perp- the people. It shall, you shall do no work at all. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It is a Sabbath of complete rest to you, and you shall humble your soul from the ninth of the month at evening. From evening until evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. Now, Again, you guys know this. We begin the seventh month with Rosh Hashanah or Yom Terah, the blowing of the Shofar. That counts the ten days of awe to the Day of Atonement when the high priest, according to Leviticus 16, would go in and make atonement. In the book of Hebrews, this parallel between the Day of Atonement and the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus is the focus of the book and so all through the book of Hebrews we are being told that his death is the sacrifice and he as the high priest 40 days after his resurrection ascends up into heaven to sit down at the right hand of God the Father so it makes sense that in separation from Israel what the church did was they saw the day of Yom Kippur as being fulfilled to some extent in the death of Jesus as celebrated on Good Friday in Holy Week. And then the ascension of Jesus as the high priest on the day of ascension 40 days after the resurrection. So much of the Day of Atonement gets pulled away from this time of year and, and overlaps on Holy Week with the uh, period we call uh, the Passover. Well, what about the rest of it? What about the, the fulfillment of the kingdom and all that? Well, they took that part and moved it to Advent, So that the celebration of the first coming of Jesus is also the celebration of the second coming of Jesus which is why we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. It's not about a king baby, it's about a king coming from heaven, uh, the Messiah when the high priest comes out. So you can see that this gets pulled in Christianity away but it overlaps with with the high holy days. Now the problem is this. While I believe that the... uh, the atonement aspects of the sacrifice and the high priest ministry do in fact find their fulfillment in the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension and the giving of the Spirit in the, in the spring holy days. Much of what is to be fulfilled when he comes back is found in the high holy days and those celebrations. and And yet the church is absolutely silent at this time of year with regard to to celebration. It does not celebrate the sounding of the shofar and the raising of the dead. It does not celebrate the day of judgment and the establishment of the year of Jubilee and the kingdom to come and it does not establish what Tabernacles or Sukkot does with the dwelling with God in the kingdom to come. And therefore we have included those. But we are rare among churches in doing that, that ceremony. But I want us to see the intersection of it. And it, there is a tradition in Judaism that I think is really valuable in that context. Now, there is a period of ten days leading up to... Yom Kippur, called the Days of Awe. And in those days, the Jewish people say to one another, May you be inscribed in the Book of Life for a good year. So the idea of the Book of Life and the judgment is part of this thing. And they provoke one another, they encourage one another to love and good works. Why? Because the judgment's coming. And if the judgment's coming, you might want to straighten up your life and get... Get back on track. So this became a time of preparing for the Day of Atonement. Now the rabbis said, there's no way you're going to prepare in 10 days. 10 day kind of a quick preparation. and It's not like Passover where in a day or two you can remove the leaven. You really have to get some things going. So they added the month of Elul to that. And the month of Elul and the 10 days together gives us with Yom Kippur approximately 40 days. And the rabbi said this 40 day period of preparation is like the testing in the wilderness of will you follow God or will you not follow God? You know that Israel was tested 10 times during that period and that generation failed the test and did not enter into the land. And so the idea is that this is the time of year when you set yourself to reconciling relationships, cleaning up your act, showing repentance, and doing that. And that became the tradition in Judaism. And it is believed by some scholars that it is this period of time that Jesus, after his baptism, went into the wilderness. In identification with Israel... Also being tempted but passing the test. Now because most of that ministry is tied to Holy Week. The church pulled those 40 days over to the pre-Holy Week period and gave us Lent. And so in effect Lent and the month of Lul have similar properties as well. The difference is this. The... Preparation for Holy Week that we do with Lent is about spiritual disciplines. Prayer, fasting, and kind of getting ourselves together. This period of time is about provoking one another unto love and good works so that you reconcile relationships and you you fix things in a broader personal way. And I think they're both valuable. And so I have tried to introduce this uh, both to us, uh, so that we have two periods when we can uh, do this examination. Now, what do I mean by examination? Uh, well, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. In 2 Corinthians 13, uh, Paul says these words in verse 5 to 10. Examine yourselves or test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves or do you not recognize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test. But I trust that you realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we may uh, ourselves appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. And we rejoice when we are weak, you are strong, and we also pray for uh, this, that you will be made complete. For this reason I am writing these things while absent so that when I am present I will not need to use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building you up and not tearing you down. Now, what's what's he talking about here? Paul is saying that we should examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. Now this doesn't make a lot of sense to the average Christian these days because the average Christian believes that uh, you're in the faith, if you said the words, I'm a sinner, Jesus, come into my heart and save me from my sin, then a light switch went on and you're saved, you're on layaway now, and, and you're ready for the day to approach. But that's not biblical. That's Christian, but it's not biblical. Biblical. The idea is that to come to Christ and confess Him as Lord is to turn away from our old life and struggle to walk on the way of the path towards the Lord. And that pathway is difficult. There are temptations along the way. There are problems along the way. There are people that get in the way. And that means that we have a lifestyle to walk, not that saves us, but shows our approval as being the children of God. And what Paul is saying is, I want you to test yourselves so that even if we're not approved, we turn out to be frauds, we turn out to be fake, you stay approved. The idea is that you don't say, well, this person led me to the Lord and they're genuine, so I was obviously led to the Lord. The trusting the Lord is a manifestation that takes place in our life so that we hear and do the word. And that's why James tell us, don't be a hearer only, deceiving yourselves, but be a doer of the word because it is the doers of the word who are justified. So, many, many years ago, I began to struggle with what I, at that time, called a report card, spiritual report card. Uh, you know, A, B, C, D, F kind of thing, based on Certain categories. Over the years, uh, I tried to assign that to a time. And some of you remember, because you go back that far, uh, I would take the last Sunday of the of the uh, American calendar year, and I called it Ebenezer Sunday. Any of you remember that? Ebenezer Sunday, because Ebenezer was the stone that was put... And anointed as a testimony that God has brought me this far. And he'll continue to take me. And the idea was to be an encouragement. Because I don't want this to be a condemnation. But to be an encouragement that we have examined ourselves and we are in the faith. Are we perfect? No. But we are making progress in the direction of spiritual maturity. And so I created then out of that what I call the discipleship evaluation form, and it's really somewhat of a, uh, uh, a a checklist for you to work on. Now, I don't expect, because I understand human nature, that you will take one of these and you're going to go through every bit of this and you're just going to detail it out over the next 40 days, um, because I know you. Even if you decide that's what you're going to do, you're going to sleep that off tonight and it'll be gone tomorrow. Uh, But I'm hoping that you will take it and say, I am at least going to examine some aspect of my life between now and Yom Kippur for the purpose of being comforted that I am walking with God and being instructed that I need to walk closer uh, with Him. Now, how would we do that? Well, there are areas that I want to talk about. I'll just briefly mention them. One is the life cycle events. I believe that uh, both Judaism and Christianity uh, in their traditions have made great use of the life cycle events. Among evangelicals, we've not done that good a job. But among people that have, it's been reintroduced, they find that useful. So the naming of children, the dedication of children... They're around the age of five or six, getting the children formally starting to learn the scriptures, working on a catechism. And I believe about the age of 10, you should formalize the catechism of the children and begin to work more directly in the home towards their confirmation or if they're Jewish bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. That notion of we're transferring the faith to you, you're becoming an adult in, in the faith, which would also include baptism as they make their own profession of faith and confirmation. I believe that the betrothal process is valuable and the marriage process and vows to services are important. Uh, and I am becoming very aware that uh, as you reach about the age of 70, uh moving into that biblical life cycle of 70 to 80 uh, by reason of strength. And God blesses some with strength beyond that. But, but a lot of people uh, die uh, between 70 and 80. And so that's a good time to give testimony and to reflect back on your life and write that down and, and gather your family around and give a, a, a statement to them as Jacob did and as others have done in the scriptures. So the question is, what have you engaged in in the last year related to where you are in your life cycle or those of your household? Um, Spiritual disciplines, I'm not going to talk so much about them because we do most of those in the Lent period, but obviously this is a good time to tune up because all the scripture reading uh, church year and Jewish year begin again uh, in the September, October, November period. Uh, so this is a good time to get um, into the lectionaries. Uh, holiness. What, to what extent have you made a statement in your, uh, in your home? Uh, the scripture says that we are to write the scriptures on our doorposts, on our walls, on our gates. Uh, they are to be there. there. There should be markers and symbols throughout the home. And these, I believe, should be changed from time to time, probably seasonally, uh, that allows you to uh, to make sure that you're reinforced in the home. You know, uh, if a billboard is out here on the freeway, and it says the same thing every day, after a while you don't see that billboard anymore. But the ones that flash something different, you you'll almost get in a wreck looking to see what else it's saying. I think that that the writing of the scriptures in the home and the, and the artwork and the items in the home should be seasonal and changing with that same thing because then they're noticed in that kind of context. To what extent are the holy days operating in your home and in your congregation? Uh, to what extent are you observing them? Um, and if you've fallen off from that, maybe this is a good time to bring it back. I, on the second page on the top i 've got congregational participation. This is one I really wanted to spend a little time with so let me uh, let me stop here i I think that um, every member of the disciple center should plan to be a reader prayer uh, at least once every quarter. I I think once a month would be good. But once a quarter where you are saying I'm going to do this. And there, we have several sections. We have the call to worship. We have the opening of the ark. We have the prayer time and the praise time. It's really something where you could do one of those a year. By changing that around and having that experience. I love that. Uh, Parents are bringing their children up with them uh, to do each of these. It's very important for them to walk in those footsteps. But that participation is important in in this context. Um, So being involved in the congregation... Uh, in the worship and in being in each other's homes and in, in doing these things is an active thing. And I think it needs to be planned and prioritized and not just there's nothing else to do and uh, Jeff has asked for someone to read because nobody's read or Trevor's trying to you know, buttonhole someone to do it and okay, I'll do that. Uh, stretch yourselves a little bit uh, in this next year uh, to do that. If you haven't opened the ark, We will prepare you. We will let you come down and practice. We will tell you what the words are because they change at different times of the year. And and what to do and how to do that. Uh, I think that it's an important part of of your own growth. If we end up in persecution, uh, the clergy and the deacons and the officers of the corporation will be gathering in jail. And so if you guys are going to do anything, you're going to have to know how to do that. Uh, because uh, some of us will, will not be available at that time. Um, so, uh, I also think that uh, uh, the practice of, um, uh, that's, that's broken out in this congregation of giving Thanksgiving celebrations, is a wonderful time of fellowship and acknowledging of God. Um, What what a great thing to do uh, when when the Lord does something uh, great in our life to give give a thanksgiving testimony. Now, commandment struggle. It's not about what we believe, it's about how we act. It is the behavior that Paul is talking about in this passage and James in the being doers of the word. And there are three major categories of commandments for us to struggle with. Our loving God, holiness commandments. Our loving our neighbor, which includes the stranger and the enemy. And our loving one another. Those three commandments are important for us to know and to flesh out through all the other commandments in the scripture. And so that may mean that from time to time you struggle with what you eat or what you don't eat. What you wear and what you don't wear. What is holiness in these aspects of life as well? Uh, and the Scripture talks about those both for Jews and for Gentiles. What What am I not doing for others that I need to do to know to do good and do it not? The Scripture says is sin. And then, am I engaged in uh, loving my fellow believer um, in that in that context? The opposite side of that is our uh, our our struggle with temptation. Sometimes we get this idea that since we have made a statement of faith, uh, everything is under grace. I get that at the university a lot. Uh, When somebody doesn't do well on an exam, and I give them a grade that they earned, they say, what about grace? And my response is usually, grace didn't take this class. But I'm sure her grade would be fine. You know? And they said, oh, I thought this was a Christian university. I don't know where you got that idea. We're Baptists. You know, just a little joke. But the idea is, you know what, they're after. They're after, I want something I don't deserve. God gives grace to the humble. And to the entitled, or the proud, he resists. And we, we should learn to do that. But there are struggles that we need to overcome in our flesh in the world and in uh, the spiritual warfare that we engage in. And we need to, from time to time, take an evaluation of where we have let our guard down in that spiritual battle. Uh, And then a few years ago, I I introduced the idea of your testimony or your witness of God. Uh, To what extent do you get questioned by unbelievers about your faith. Now, that's only going to happen if two things happen. Okay? One is, you're talking about your faith, and they find your talk interesting and ask you a question. That's highly unlikely. Most people who start talking about their religious faith, people don't find that highly interesting and want to ask questions. So the second approach is the better approach. You are engaged in the doing of the word and it m- makes your behavior somewhat different and somebody says, why do you do that? They give you ask for a reason for the faith that is in you and then they're curious and they're more interested in listening to the words. So witness and testimony should be deed talk Not talk deed. And never talk only. And that's part of what we need to do. And then part of that is how comfortable are you with talking about your faith. Um, Most of us are very comfortable with talking about the TV program we saw last week. Or the restaurant we just went to. But we're more uncomfortable... With talking about our faith. And I think it's because of two things. One. We think. This person will go to heaven or hell. Based on what I now say. I don't think that's a good attitude to have. You don't have that much power. Okay. But the reality is. We just don't talk about it. In normal settings. And we need to be more comfortable. About talking about our faith. In normal settings. Uh, Talking about. Picking up a challah for Shabbat, or talking about picking up Advent candles, or uh, having done the mourners' cottage. what was that? Oh, we do that. Those things uh, allow you to talk in more natural terms uh, because you're familiar with them. So I think that's that's important too. And then I believe that we are to be growing in grace and in knowledge all the time. Growing in grace and in knowledge means that I know more about this precious faith this year than I did last year. Um, we, We have an education system that says learn it, put it on the paper, forget it. Come into the next class, learn it, put it on the paper, forget it. That is not the biblical way of learning. The biblical way of learning is to grow in grace and in knowledge in that you know more about things than you used to know. In fact, sometimes you'll be embarrassed about what you used to think you knew, and you'll be appalled by the depth of lack of knowledge that you have as you learn more. If you are remaining a student of the Word, a student of the faith, a student of the history of the faith, a student of the issues of the faith that are going on around you, that will be a great model for your children and for your grandchildren uh, to do that as well. And at the bottom, I have a personal narrative or journal. Now, this is not my strong suit. Uh, Many of you know Dr. Lewis. Dr. Lewis has been journaling, I think, his entire life, and he does it in color, Uh, it's color-coordinated and coded and all that kind of stuff, and he can go back uh, at any point in time and pull out a journal and know who he talked to that day, what he did, what he thought about, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I can't do that. I can't find even the notes I wrote down when I thought something was important. So I try to go through stuff and keep it as much as I can, but I'm reaching the point where... I'm beginning to lose some of that. And so my goal now in the next several years is to begin to write reflections of my coming to the Lord and my struggles so that I will be prepared at the age of 70 to talk to my family. Probably about some things that they may not know about in my own struggle with the faith uh, that shows God's faithfulness. Uh, to our family in that context. So I believe that all of these are important aspects. And that the, the Judaism and Christianity. Particularly in this case Judaism. Has given us a way to uh, reinforce this. And to benefit from it. Now we're getting ready to go back to school. And all the parents said amen. <laughs> right? Uh, we're, we're at the end of vacation time. We're last barbecue time at the beach and then all of a sudden what's going to happen is we're going to be hitting it's, Yom Terah is this week. You know that, All of that stuff is going to happen because we're very aware when some of the other holidays are. This one will catch us. It seems to shift on us because of the dates and we're not as familiar with it. I'm going to try to keep the memory and what I'm hoping is not that you'll cross every T and dot every I, but that you will have a better anticipation of that because if you have ever used a map, uh, I know we use GPS devices now, but for many years I had to use a map, and I would take the map and I'd look at that, and you can look at the GPS thing, and it's an approximation of the real thing. Now this holy day is an approximation of the end of the age. And the end of your life. You are practicing for two things. You are practicing for the end of your life and the judgment that you will stand before. And the kingdom to come in that context. Or we may stay alive to the coming of the Lord and we will live through it. Whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. But this is preparing ourselves for that using this little map, this little GPS of the Holy Day celebration in order to participate in an approximation that helps us understand how to really prepare for the real day that is approaching. And the statement that we are given is the last verse, and I'm going to close with that which is where we started Hebrews chapter 10 this might be a good verse to write out and put up on your wall Hebrews 10 verse 19 to 25 therefore brethren since we have confidence to enter the holy place By the blood of Jesus. There's that day of atonement thing. By a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. We talked about that as we opened the ark today. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a sincere heart. In full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. The inner man and the outer man appropriate towards the Lord. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering for the one who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another. King James says provoke one another. It means to encourage one another. And to prod one another along towards love which is what the commandments are, and good deeds, the mitzvot that come out of that. Not forsaking our own assembling together, we assemble in two places, our homes and in the congregation. And all the more as you see the day approaching, not just the holy day, but the actual day itself when our great high priest will return or we walk through the veil of the shadow of death and go to meet him. Preparing is not just about saying, I'm saved, so I'm okay. It's about being prepared for the kingdom to come. That kingdom that he has told us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it is for that that we look forward. And this next 40 days are really a time for us to kind of organize our lives, get get ourselves back on track and move towards seeing the church year again uh, from a standpoint of productivity and priority. Let's pray. Father, help us to be mindful that we forget easy. We get caught up in the world. We get caught up in the day-to-day living